Well, hey, let's grab our Bibles. If you're in the room, if you're online, we're going to be in John chapter 4. We got some work to do to end this epidemic. So let's we'll be in John chapter 4 today. Go ahead and grab your Bibles, your phone, your iPad, whatever it is that you'll use to look at God's Word. Hey, as we get started, one of the things that happened this week, Hank Aaron passed away. Oh, man, that was a bummer, wasn't it? Like a great Atlanta icon, uh, somebody that most people have heard about. Maybe you haven't, but Hank Aaron kind of was known for hitting... breaking Babe Ruth's home run record of 700. He hit 755 home runs when he broke it. And, um, but just to hear people talk about Hank Aaron today, they're not talking about the home run record, are they? They're talking about his character. They're talking about that dream foundation where he helped kids release their dreams, be able to build into kids. And he talked about what a great man he was. And it made me think of this question. I think it's a question that everybody needs to consider. I think it's a question that at the end of our lives, we would consider. Now, we don't think about the end of our lives because none of us are going to die, right? And so, but we know that, man, there's going to be a time when people are going to sit around and talk about you. They're going to talk about your life. They're going to talk about the impact you had had on them. And and this is... This is what the question that their conversation is going to revolve around. How did you make them feel? How did you make people feel? So like, what about you? If you have kids today, maybe what what will they say about how you made them feel as they sit around and talk about the embarrassing stories and the times that you lost your mind and shouldn't have? Maybe that's just me, not you, but I can only imagine the stories that kids will tell. But how did you make them feel? What about maybe your employee employer maybe the person you work for maybe people that work with you like how did you make them feel because right now people feel lonely and we have an opportunity to step into that you know as we looked at last week kind of kicked off the series called in the epidemic you know the epidemic of loneliness is uh, so pervasive that three out of five people are experiencing it loneliness they say is the equivalent of the adverse health effects on you is equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day that it increases anxiety, it increases depression, and it actually lowers your life expectancy. And it's not just something that's just for a, that's been in the past. It's actually something that predictions are it's going to carry into the future. We already know that divorce rates are going to rise, and it's predicted that by the end of the year, they will have risen another 25%. And most of them are from couples that have been married for a shorter period of time, not a longer period of time. You know, in Los Angeles County alone, phone calls to the mental health agencies are up 8,000%. We know that suicide rates are skyrocketing. We also know that uh, deaths by alcoholism and opioid use, there will be an extra 75,000 people that will die because of that this year. Now, the news isn't all bad because we have the ability and we have the mandate to negate this epidemic. Amen, somebody? Like we have this God who came for us, this God who loves us, that God who shifts our attention towards people. And we need to just follow his solution, his vaccination for the epidemic. Now, in John chapter 4, it's the story of the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well. Anybody heard this story before maybe? Right? You've heard this story. What what I want to do is I'm just going to give kind of a quick overview and then I'm going to dive into kind of dissect it a little bit. So I'll give a little bit of the Gibbs paraphrase uh, to the story. Um, And so as it happens, Jesus is in the southern part of the country, the southern part of Israel, and he's got to travel north. He's gained a large following and people are a little bit jealous. 
And so he's got to leave so that they don't try to do something mean to him. And so he begins to go to the northern part of the country, kind of back towards his hometown. Now, while he's traveling, he gets tired. So he pulls off in this country, this region called Samaria. And he pulls over to a well just to get some water and just to rest. He sends his disciples back into town to get a sandwich, to get some food. And so while they're there, Jesus is by himself and a woman shows up about noon. Now in this story, because it's noon in the heat of the day, we know that that's not normal. And so this, what we're going to find out in the story is that she showed up there because she had some pretty promiscuous sins in her life that had left her lonely. And while she's there, she encounters Jesus and Jesus just begins to talk to her about how her physical thirst really should translate to a spiritual thirst. And he begins to share with her that he has the water of life, water that where she'll never thirst again. And so she goes back and she tells all her friends, everybody she knows, people that she doesn't, that aren't her friends probably. And then while she's doing that, Jesus' disciples come back and they're kind of an afterthought to this story. But part of me wonders if the whole story wasn't really for them, because what he begins to share with them will be some, some training, will be some perspective that will radically change how they live. So at the very top of the story, it says this in John chapter four, verse four, it says that he, meaning Jesus had to pass through Samaria, that he had to pass through Samaria. Now on the surface, when it says he had to pass through Samaria, he didn't technically have to geographically because some people wouldn't even go through Samaria. Now, one of the things to know about Samaritans is there was this ethnic divide between Jews and Samaritans. There was this social divide. There was this religious divide, so much so that some people wouldn't, if they were going from on Jesus' route from the south to the north, they wouldn't even go through Samaria, even though it was the most straightforward route. Like, they would go around, right? They would go around. Like, imagine you're, you need to travel to Texas, and you're like, I am not going through Alabama. Hate those people. I'm going straight up to Tennessee, right? Like, it, it, it just wouldn't make any sense. So, so we know it says he had to pass through Samaria. But what we know that this meant was that, that God had this divine appointment, this divine moment, this God moment for Jesus at this well. I mean, Jesus had to go so he could stop and step in. He had to go through so he could stop and he could step into this woman's life. Like, have you ever, have you ever experienced maybe a divine moment, right? A, a, a time where God just kind of broke in to the day for you. You see, see, God moments happen in everyday minutes. Sometimes we think they happen on the mountaintop. Sometimes we think they only happen on Sunday morning. Maybe they do. Hopefully they do, right? Come on, we at least talk about God. Somebody say amen right there, right? Sometimes you say amen, say amen right there. Right, there we go. So, so sometimes they happen maybe in a moment of worship. But have you ever had, had, had this happen where maybe your life got interrupted? You had a plan you were going on. You were just like Jesus going somewhere. You had somewhere to be and something happened and got interrupted. But then something amazing happened and your life was just different. And you identified that, man, God did that right there. Like this happens to people all the time when they, when they get engaged. I can't tell you how many guys I talk to. They have a date and they get, they get stood up for their date. And they go to the bar just to get hammered and they marry the bartender. Happens all the time in our community. God moment right there. Not really. But we know what it's like for our lives to be interrupted. And all of a sudden something happens. God steps in and does something for us, does something in us, does something through us. And this is what Jesus is trying to point out. This is why he had to go through because God had an appointment for him. And it wasn't like you could make that appointment. Man, God is the one who does that. God is the one who predetermines that. But if we're honest, man, we miss a lot of those, don't we? 
Man, we miss some moments, if we're honest, because we are busy. We are in a hurry. We got places to go, people to see, business to take care of. And sometimes we miss the people that God puts in our life. And what if we began to see things differently, that we, that we began to see people differently, that we would step into their lives in the same way that Jesus did? A lot of people will say this, I wish God would speak to me. I wish God would speak to me. I wish I'd get that audible voice. Anybody? wish I'd get that audible voice. I wonder, though, sometimes if God hasn't spoken to us by the people he's put in our lives and the needs that he's put in front of us and the people that need encouragement and the people that need someone just to wrap them up. I wonder if God speaks that way. You know, this happens in everyday minutes, everyday minutes. There's a doctor back in the 1800s named William Osler. William Osler actually founded John Hopkins Medical School, wrote many medical textbooks, and he was on a transatlantic boat trip, a ship. He was on a ship, and he's traveling across, and he's full of anxiety. He's full of worry, full of struggle. Anybody feel that? I mean, just full of this pressure in his life. And while he's on board the ship, he notices that the way the ship works is that there's different compartments on the lower parts of the ship that are watertight. And you can close the doors to make them watertight just to keep the ship safe. And he began to get this image of his life that that's the way life should be. That we should live with day tight compartments where every day we look at them as an opportunity. Dale Carnegie later adopted this phrase for one of his famous books. But, but, but Osler was the one who came, penned the phrase day-tight compartments. And what if we could do that and lived every day? We were just present in the moment. And we were able to meet the needs that came our way. And to see the people, sometimes we're too busy to see. You know, there, there's a story in the Bible about Moses and the burning bush. Anybody heard this story? You guys heard this story, right? Moses and the burning bush. The story goes a little bit like this, right? So Moses is out in the desert, and he's a shepherd, so he's taking care of some sheep. And um, which I'm assuming is what shepherds do. Last shepherd I met did that. And so there's a bush and it's burning. And so, it, but it's not being consumed. Now, now let me ask you this question. In your schedule and the things that you have to do next week, if, if you were just going along and there's a bush or something unusual, would you stop and look? Or would you be too busy? Would you think, I, I'll get to it later. Would you procrastinate? Would you think that's not really that important? I got other things to do. Now Moses, Moses sees the bush and it says he steps in. He steps over to see what's happening. Because he knew that that was something unusual. He knew that God was speaking in that moment. Matter of fact, in that moment, God said, take your shoes off because where you're standing is holy ground. Hey, what if? What if? What if the people that we encounter on a daily basis are our burning bush? What if the people that we come across is God orchestrating our life? for purpose, orchestrating our life to speak to us, orchestrating our life to help someone to end the epidemic. And what if we began to view people like that? Because we know the great commandment, love God and love what? People. Jesus came what? As a person. Jesus came in human flesh to show us what God was like. And what if every time we saw someone, man, we just thought that's a burning bush. That's God speaking through me. And we took time to step in. Like I've got two illustrations on that. One was bad and one was good. And uh, one where I missed it and one where I feel like I got it right. A few years ago, I was traveling back when you could do that. Y'all remember those days? 
<laughs> I was traveling. I found myself in Plano, Texas. You know, uh, some of you guys have been to Plano, suburb of, of uh, the great city of Dallas, Texas, the great Republic of Texas, I should say. And so um, I kind of go in. It's late at night. It's about not late-ish. It's nine o'clock or so. And I got things to do to get ready for some meetings uh, that next day. I'd preached all morning and then got jumped on a plane, flown. And so as I walk into the lobby of this courtyard Marriott in Plano, Texas, I walk into someone that I know. Like, what are the odds? Like, it doesn't happen. And so I walk into the hotel, the Marriott, and I'm talking to him. And he's like, hey, I'm about to go for dinner with my buddy. You want to come with me? I'm like, ah, you know what, man? I got things to do. I'm tired. I got to go get some things ready tomorrow. I'll pass. Now, do you think I just missed my burning bush? Yes. Yes. Now, fast forward a couple years later, um, because I'm dumb only once, right? (laughs) And so... A couple of years later, Debbie and I are in New York. I mean, we're walking uh, to a little grocery store. We had rented an apartment. We were staying there for two weeks because just for, it was one of those special anniversaries. And so we're walking on kind of on a back road and we're walking to a grocery store and there's nobody on this road. And all of a sudden, look up coming at me is a college student who grew up in our ministry. And we're the only three people on this road in New York City, Manhattan. And I'm like, is that you, Lord? <laughs> And so we meet, we engage, I get her number, I'm like, what do you want us to do? I'll do whatever, because I have learned my lesson. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, doesn't matter, whatever you want. And we were able to serve, we were able to help, you know, a college student in New York for a summer class, sometimes that can be a little lonely. And for us to show up was just like God speaking to her through us, right? These are the moments that we get to have, and you never know them if you don't what? If you don't step in, if you don't step in. Hey, listen, where, where can you step in this week? If three out of five people are experiencing some form of loneliness, who are the three people you can step in with this week? You may not know who they are now, where are you going to meet them, but you just have to make this commitment. Like, I'm not going to let my schedule take priority over God's people. I'm not going to let my schedule trump God speaking to me through the burning bush that looks like a person I need to encounter. Guess what? It will be messy. Come on. Did you ever notice how messy people are? Ever notice how messy you are? Ever notice how complicated people can be? Do you ever notice how tiring people can be? You notice how tiring I am, right? I mean, but, but if we, I promise you, if we will step in, we will have such a sense of satisfaction and such a sense of purpose in our life. We'll look back and say, I can't believe I ever missed those. We need to learn to step in. Now, as the story keeps on going, in verse 6, we see this. It says that Jesus pulled over in this uh, town in Samaria, and it says Jacob's well was there. Now Jacob is kind of he's a patriarch in the Bible. He's a big he's a big deal in the Old Testament and to the Jewish people. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, weird as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. That's noon, and a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, "Give me a drink," for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, "How is it?" that you, a Jew, could ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria. For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? In other words, Jesus, you're crazy. Like you don't don't even have a bucket. How's this going to happen? She was condescending towards him. And then she says this, are you greater than our father Jacob? 
He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so we see that Jesus takes this physical desire that we all have, thirsty. Man, we, everybody gets thirsty. It's a universal desire that we all have. And we know what thirst feels like, don't we? I mean, you know what it, your mouth will tell you that you're thirsty. Your stomach will tell you that you're thirsty. Your mom will tell you when you're thirsty. That's how, because it is that important. If you don't get thirsty, you don't drink, you dehydrate and die. One of the most painful ways that you can die. Man, physical thirst is elemental. It's universal. It's mandatory for us to be able to live. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's going to bridge her physical thirst to spiritual thirst. Because that woman didn't need water. She needed answers. She needed water. She needed answers to the deep questions of life. Listen, she needed answers to questions like, why am I here? What's my purpose? Is there a God? Could this be true? Does he have a plan? Where did we come from? Where are we going? Like, these are the questions. And everybody is spiritually thirsty. You are, I am, people that we know are. We are spiritually thirsty. Tim Keller, a pastor, has a great quote around this idea that we're all thirsty. He said, as long as you think that there's a good chance that you will achieve some of your dreams, as long as you think you have a shot at success, you experience your inner emptiness, your thirst, as drive. In other words, you recognize there's something wrong, but you just chalk it up, I'm just a driven human being. Or you experience your anxiety as hope. I'm expecting that something's going to happen in the future. And so you remain oblivious to the real depth of your thirst. Most of us tell ourselves that the reason we remain unfulfilled is that we simply haven't been able to achieve our goals. And so we can live almost our entire lives without admitting to ourselves the depth of our spiritual thirst. Listen, you know what spiritual thirst can look like? Disappointment. Anybody ever been disappointed? Been disappointed right? We know. You know why? It's because as we look into the future, we have this expectation and that expectation doesn't happen. And there's something in us that gets disappointed. And even though we can't identify it or even sometimes articulate it, disappointment shows us, proves to us that we're spiritually thirsty. But anxiety, everybody, we struggle, people struggle with anxiety. There's times when we're not sure of the future. And so we struggle with anxiety and it shows itself up physically, but it's a indication that we have a spiritual thirst. Ever felt guilty about doing something you shouldn't have done, saying something you shouldn't have said, wishing you said something that you didn't say. And we regret knowing because we have something about us knows. And this is what that is. It says God has placed eternity in our hearts. You're created this way. I'm created this way. We're all created this way, that we have this spiritual thirst in us. And the problem comes when we try to quench this spiritual thirst with things that can't actually do the job. So the woman, what we know about her, obviously, is that she's had a lot of husbands. And, uh, and we see that she's taken her thirst to relationships. It says in verse 15 that the woman says to Jesus, Hey, give me this water so that I'll be, I will not be thirsty I won't have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said, go call your husband and come here. And the woman said, I have no husband. Jesus said, you're right. 
you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband's husband. What you have said is true. Man, what do you think? How do you think she felt when Jesus called her out? Like, how do you think she felt when five husbands, the reason why she was there alone, how do you think he made her feel? Tell you what, he made her feel loved. That's what he did. She had taken her thirst to men rather than to God, and it left her lonely. Listen, if you don't drink the right things for your physical thirst, it's detrimental to your health. And if you don't go to the right places for, phys- for a spiritual thirst, it's detrimental to your health. Like, think about this for a second from a physical standpoint. Anybody here been shipwrecked? No, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, if you read stories about shipwreck and people who've survived it, being at sea or being in the ocean for days, what you know is um, that you, you can't drink seawater. Even though there's a lot of it, and it looks like water, and you're thirsty, if you drink it, what happens is it expedites your death. Because the salt comes into your body, your body has to try to get rid of all that salt with fresh water, and because it doesn't have enough, it begins to draw water from your cells, you get dehydrated, you get really thirsty, you drink more, and it just expedites your death. And what's happening to us, and what can happen to me, and to you and to people that we know, is that we're, we're drinking spiritual seawater. We're trying to engage in things we think are going to solve the problem and give us hope and give us life when in essence they just lead to our death. Like, have you ever seen anybody? And you just know, man, they're really searching. They're trying really hard. You know, like one of our go-tos is success because it looks like the win, doesn't it? And we all want to be achievers. We all want to be moving up the ladder. We all want people uh, to think that we're valued because of our success. And there's nothing wrong with wanting success. But when it replaces God, what happens is it's a never-ending cycle. And it always says, hey, just a little more. Just another title. Just another promotion. Just one more dollar. Always coming at you. Man, another place that we look, and I think that a lot of people place their faith in over the last few months, is the political system. Anybody notice this? And we look at the news media, our, our flavor of choice, and we keep going back and keep going back and keep going back and think it's going to provide a different result, and it never does. And it leaves us empty. Should we be involved and engaged? Well, of course we should. But should we trust that for our life to give us life? Absolutely not. Social media, physical substances, addiction to alcohol and opioids and other types of things that we partake in, and we think it's going to solve this spiritual thirst. And what happens is the same thing that happened to this woman is we just end up lonely, lonely. Let me ask you, like what, what salt water do you see people drinking today? Like when you think about the news, you think about your friends, think about what they're doing, think about their values and their character. Like what, what salt water do you see them drinking today? More importantly, what salt water are you drinking? What salt water are you drinking? Where have you turned your attention for life? gets all of your resource, all of your um, uh, attention, and it's not providing that because it can't. And this is what Jesus is trying to teach us here. He goes on in the story in, in verse 28. says, the woman, after Jesus had told her everything that she'd done and taught her about himself, says, the woman left her water jar. She went away into town and she said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? 
Now, I don't know how counterintuitive that feels to you, but it's a little counterintuitive to me because if someone comes up to me and tells me everything that I've done bad, first thing I'm going to say, do you work for Google? (laughs) But I'm not going to say, are you God? I'm going to be embarrassed, ashamed, guilty, be like, ooh, what happened? How does he know? Complete freedom for her. And this is what Jesus provides. He provides freedom. And in the moment when all her regrets, everything she'd lived for, everything she'd pointed to, everything that people would have said about her, and Jesus makes her feel like her middle name is loved. And Jesus reaches out and elevates her and provides her life, even in the midst of her brokenness and her sin and the places that she'd gone to quench her spiritual thirst. She goes and tells everybody because God's love was poured out in her heart. So she just let that spill out onto everybody else. And so now you have this woman who's gone in to tell her town everything that Jesus has done. They begin to come back. They begin to come back. And people began to follow Jesus simply because of her testimony and because of what he told them. And this is the power of the gospel. Now, after all this happens, the disciples show back up. Remember them? I kind of mentioned them at the first of the message. You know, the disciples, his closest followers, his lieutenants had gone into town to buy some food. I'm sure that was a bad experience because, again, they're Jewish. They're trying to buy food in town. I'm sure that they were criticized, humiliated, talked down to, judged, condemned. But they come back with some food and they're like, Jesus, you want some food? He's like, no, I've already eaten. They're like, what? Like, what happened? And then he's talking to this woman. They were so afraid to ask him why he was talking to her that they didn't say it out loud. They just kind of asked each other. What is he doing? That's against the rules. And Jesus just begins to speak to them. He begins to talk to them about what's just happened. And over on the horizon, the town people begin to come to see who Jesus was. And, you know, what it would say is that they're all dressed in white because that was the kind of the color of the day back then. And so as they come, Jesus says, the fields are ripe for harvest. And this is what Jesus says to his disciples in verse 38. He says, I sent you to reap for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. So so here's the thing. When you reap, right, if you're reaping a crop, you're gathering people. And so Jesus is just painting this picture for them. I've been here doing the work. I'm the one who's rescued her. And now what's going to happen is you're going to have all these people coming to you to help them. And you're going to do that because I took advantage of this God moment. Because this is what happens in God moments. That lives get changed. People get restored. People find freedom. People get a future and people get living water. And this is what happens. Man, when Jesus does that, I think the way that we should frame it up, and I hope that our church always does this. Man, we want people to feel like loved is their middle name. We want people to feel like loved is their middle name. And that can look different in a lot of different scenarios. You know, one of our cultural values is love is our language. This is how we speak. You know what? Sometimes love is hard. Sometimes love points out the five husbands you had. Sometimes love is challenging. Sometimes love points out where you've been so that you can get to a better place. That's what love does. But love always wraps people up. Now, we, we like to, we call another one of our values is we fight for relationship around here. You guys have heard this, fight for relationship. We thought in the middle of the political turmoil, we should just really talk about fight week. That really made a lot of sense to us. And so what we see here is that Jesus, and he had to fight for this woman. He had to go through Samaria. He had to fight through 
religious barriers. He had to fight through political barriers. He had to fight through gender barriers. Jesus had to fight through all that so he could meet this woman. And this is what we feel like sometimes it's the same for us. So as we fight for relationship and we want to end this epidemic and so that it doesn't become a double pandemic for people is that we have fight week. Now all fight week is, is multiple opportunities for people to connect with people. So tonight you heard him talk about uh, ladies night where we've got ladies that will be here and I would just encourage you to come. We also recognize that we are in the middle of a pandemic and people have different levels of comfort for that kind of thing. So we, we're gonna, we'll do what we need to do to socially distance, but also we have online opportunities because we realize we don't, wanna, we don't wanna leave anybody out and we wanna fight as hard as we can. And so we're gonna have online opportunities. We got a man night coming up tomorrow night. We'll be outside by the campfire and then throughout the week, culminating next Sunday in what we call group launch where you can kind of get connected with some people so you don't have to be lonely and so that you can invite other people. Listen, what are, who are three people? Who would be your three? Who would be your three? Now, now here's the reality. Man, for sometimes when we, we talk about the people out there that we need to reach and the people who are far from God and the people who just need an invite, there's people who are hearing me right now that feel lonely. There are people who are in the room, people who are online, people who stumble on this message throughout the week. You're, gonna, you're feeling this sense of loneliness. Can I tell you about Jesus? Man, he's something else that God would come for us, that God created us to be in relationship with him. And we decided we were going to look some other places to quench that thirst. And we sinned. And our life just doesn't work without him. And God sent Jesus to be with us, man, because he is up close and personal. And he's not way out there. He's as close as your next breath. And as we begin to follow him, that's the symbolism we see of what it means to have our thirst spiritually quenched, that Jesus is the great provider. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the King of Kings. Man, he is a father to the fatherless and a dad to the orphan, right? He's a husband to the widow, we see. And he came for us. And because his love has been poured out in our hearts, man, we can't help but tell other people, hey, don't be lonely. Don't be lonely. You got to fight for it, but it will save your life. Let's pray together. So we're just going to take just a minute, just in just silent prayer. You may not even know what prayer is, but we're just going to be silent. You'll have your own thoughts going on in your mind while I talk and I pray out loud. You know, it could be that you're just in this season where you're lonely and and you may even be in a big family and be around people but still you feel separated you don't feel like you have any purpose you're concerned about the future and you feel like you're all alone and having to do things on your own man the bible just teaches us that god's in the middle of that that jesus came for that that he is a friend who sticks closer than a brother and so maybe for you it's just a kind of a recommitment to that today a time where you can just settle into the reality that god is with you he's not out there he's super close to you and maybe you've never made a decision to follow him and the bible just teaches us really simply that when we commit our hearts to follow him believe that god raised him from the dead and that he died for our sins that we become followers of christ that we experience what it's like to have that living water that will never leave us thirsty you know in isaiah 55 it says this come everyone who thirsts come to the waters he who has no money come buy and eat 
Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, your labor which does not satisfy? Listen to me. Eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me that your soul may live. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And that's what these moments are for. So God, we know that you're a God who loves us, that knows where we are, knows where we've been, man, knows the things that we've done, the things that we wish we wouldn't have done, the regrets and the shame that we have. And God, you don't count those against us. There's no judgment, there's no condemnation, but God, we have forgiveness in Jesus. And you're not gonna leave us there. You're gonna change us. You're gonna move us forward. And you're gonna give us a hope. You're gonna transform our character. You're gonna change what we're thirsty for, God, that we would know you better. And so, Lord, I pray that we would always be able to point to the truth of who Jesus is, that in the midst of our daily lives that you're breaking in and wanting us to step in. God, that that you know where we go to to quench our thirst. It's not going to work. It's going to be destructive. And, God, we, we, we can be a person where loved is our middle name because that is what you think of us. And we just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.